Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode. It's the interview series. I'm Zane Lowe. I'm one half of that process. The other half, of course, depends on who we're talking to. And this week, it's, I mean, we're just in legend status, no question about it. Jackson Brown, not just one of the most legendary American artists of the last half a century, but also somebody who has contributed one classic song after another, the equally legendary artist, an artist, artist. How many times can I say the word artist? I'll stop. We'll get into it. We're going to keep it really brief this week because I think you're going to really enjoy this. The incredible Jackson Brown is our guest right here on the interview series. Hey, Zane. I'm just listening to this beautiful song a little too soon to say. It's beautiful and poignant and reflective, and and I just want to dive straight in because I'm dying to know, where were you when this song came to you? Honestly, uh, the beginnings of the song happened uh, the night I played a concert in Vermont. It's really about being at a at a gathering of people, and this 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 audience was so amazing to look out upon because they were young and old, and there were you know some weather beaten faces and some young, positive, you know, really open hearted people, you know. And uh, it was a concert that I was invited to do by Grace Potter, and who she's kind of like a, the reigning pop deity, you know, in Burlington, Vermont. She's from Vermont, and. You always see somebody like her and think, oh, how did this happen? How did this amazing beauty get so funky? You know, how can how can how come she can sing like that? But she had invited me to do this concert and um it was just an amazing day. So I that was the beginning of it, you know. I I had those I had the lines before I left that that night. I told her. You did, you told her. I said I got the song started, you know, when I, as I said, uh, as I said goodnight that night uh, to her and her husband and her baby, and I said, I you know. I came looking for grace, you know, I came in search of, what do I say anyway? I turned, came for inspiration. I came looking for grace. And if you sang those lines to that audience, a cheer would go up, of course, you know, because they know which grace you're talking about. But then there's always that wonderful twist in, in, in the, the, the line that you've always walked as a writer, which I love and appreciate is the personal and the universal, the ability to be able to speak truth from your own heart, but also speak to others and tell us what we need to hear sometimes the truth we need to hear and i love at the end of that song that you flip it you say i came looking for inspiration i came looking for truth and i feel that that's in some ways is what this album like many of your your albums is is a search for truth isn't it always yeah it is actually i think it's always yeah as you say always it's you're trying to figure out what you what you know you you in a way, you can't sing lines that aren't true, and sometimes you're you you have lines in a song for a long time that really aren't true, and you finally go, "Damn it, that's just not true," and you come you have to fix it. Well, it's all a big journey, isn't it? You have the albums to reflect upon yourself and your growth and who you were and who you've become. Um, but then you also write songs for other people, and I and and you know I'll dive straight in because you talk about the idea of singing the truth, and yet you've written truths for others. And I wonder if that is kind of interesting to you to think that other people believe your truth. You know, I I never try to do that. I'm I'm trying to come upon what is true for me and and express and and really describe the world in in terms that I recognize. So. But I tell you, too, I recently did write a song for somebody. Else. Now, people always say that you wrote this song for this artist, for that artist. But really, I wrote it for me. And then they, <laughs> and they and took I gave it. Them, like, then I, <laughs> then I, they took it. And they took it. And in some cases, in some cases, like on this album, the song uh, A Human Touch was a song I was invited into. And it was a song I, I kind of passed on. I kind of told them, I don't, don't think I can do this subject justice. I don't. I was afraid, I, and I, I was busy. I said, "I'm making a record. I don't think I can get." To well, it. hang on. There, hang on. There's two. There's two things going on there, Jackson. 
One is you were afraid and the other was you were busy. So which one was it? I was afraid. And that was very, <laughs> that's very perceptive of you. I was afraid I wouldn't. And I, and I used the busy part about, of course, then it wound up being on the record that I was busy making, right. too busy to write that song. But when I heard what they had started, I thought, that's really good. I really love what they had, be, had, had going. And I, I thought I could possibly make it better and, and, and expand a little bit on what they were saying. And, and I actually do this kind of reflexively. I, I've listened to so many of my friends' new songs that I'm rewriting them as I listen. <laughs> I literally am like going, mm-hmm. a line will go by and I go, mm. <laughs> what a terrible friend. What a terrible friend you are. Can you imagine, can you imagine playing you music and knowing you so well that you're sitting there analyzing and trying to improve my song? Thank you, Jackson. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think, I think that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. It's a terrible trade. I can't help it though. <laughs> I bet you can't. And I, decrise, I don't tell them that's what I'm doing. They know. Matter of fact, I, I keep it to myself. No, they don't. They don't. Right. Well, unless they, unless they, they open up the subject or something. And then, oh, yeah, they might say, well, you know, yeah, you could say this or that. You know, they'll look at me like, you know, that's maybe <laughs> a little too soon. But it's tough, isn't it? It's, it? it's tough when you're a writer, though, isn't it? Because and, and you just summed it up beautifully when you said it's too soon. Because what, what I think we tend to do when we're in the process, in the creative process, is, is that when we, when we play something to somebody, oh, man, there's always that expectation. Like, don't think I'm at the result here. Like, I'm not there, right? It's, it's a process. And you yourself said you listen to songs you wrote however long ago that you still want to improve upon. So we get obsessed over this idea of the result. Well, I've always been open to whatever changes another artist wants to do to my songs it's either something that works or it doesn't i mean it's either some change that really improves the song or if it's not if it's not it's okay it's okay to, to, to try to make it more true true for yourself i mean michael mcdonald just recorded a version of one of my songs that it's so, which one the barricades of heaven wow i gotta hear that and it's i mean it is so so great and and he changed He's changed some words. He's changed some little words in a really good way to make the image more clear. And I could give you an example. Like, uh, I'd say, you know, like the the verse goes like, Jimmy found his own sweet sound and won that free guitar. We'd all get in the van and play. So he said, Jimmy found his own sweet song when he won that free guitar. And then we'd all get in the van and go play. (laughs) It's clear. Clearly, it's about a band. It's about somebody finding finding their their true voice, and it's really just flesh. But then, what, what, that's it. That's a little change. Later, he says the chorus is some um, pages turning, pages we were years from learning, years from learning. Straight into the night, our hearts were flung. That's what I wrote. He thinks straight into the light, our hearts were flung. Oh, he made a real change. It's really good, but he made a real change. You just, but even to recite that to you right now, it gives me goosebumps on my arms and legs. It's like, he just really, that's what would happen if we were writing the song together. He'd go, oh, how about that? You know, and you, or the other change in that song, which was made by Warren Zevon, when he learned it, he changed his one phrase to, um, same song. All the world was shining from those hills. And I'm, I'm thinking of the Hollywood Hills, right? But all the world was shining from those hills, the stars above and the lights below. Among those there to, to find their fortunes and their wills, I lost track of the score long ago. That's what I wrote. And he just simply changes it. I lost track of them all. 
long ago. That's nice too. Which is more, which is which is more the way. Well, the score is really beside the point because who's keeping score? And you shouldn't. And you and you. It's kind of beside the point. It's sort of t- a metaphor that doesn't quite fit in there. I and mean, he just said, I just with the ease of the kind of masterful writer Warren Zevon was, you know, just oh, I lost track of him. You know, this is what happened. You know. I just love that people feel you've given me two or three examples of your songs that have been lovingly adopted, absorbed, and then reinterpreted by great, great artists. Three more than I can probably remember. I mean, if you give me one example, I'd have been like, wow, that blows my mind. Michael McDonald changed what now? You just gave me three examples. And I think like, wow, Jackson, you write these songs that people pull so close to their heart that they feel almost like it's theirs. It doesn't surprise me that your music has been interpreted so many different times. Well, that's what they, that's what a great singer does is it makes it, they make it their own. They, they don't care. I mean, they've, they've, they've come up singing, they've developed themselves singing songs that other people wrote, but yet they've made it, they've made it their own and made it, you know, look, look what Jeff Buckley did with Hallelujah. I know. Now, yeah, it's an amazing, it's a Leonard Cohen song that, that so many people were familiar with for so many years. And that suddenly there's this guy singing it and feeling it so, <sighs> so, deeply. so, so deeply. Yeah. I know. And I feel like Jeff was probably modern music's greatest chameleon in that regard in the last 30 or 40 mm. years. His ability to be able to use his voice and his talent, but also feel things, mm-hmm. to your point. He would feel this. One thing to sing those songs brilliantly, anyone at an awards show can rehearse that. But it's to feel it the way Jeff felt it. Yeah, the, you very often you hear somebody sing a famous song and it's a cover. You know, you think that's a cover and they're they're doing a good job. That's good. I love this song. You're thinking about the song. and it's, Okay, this is a good representation of it, but... You know, you don't even have to say to yourself, yeah, but it's not like hearing the original artist do it, you know. But someone like Jeff, you know, it, it became a part of his the terrain of his life. It became, that song became a part of his, uh, and and in that way, it's so fitting because there's Leonard Cohen who's written so many of the great songs of our lives, and yet there's 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 someone whose life is newer than ours, who's, who's, who got here, who only recently got here. The whole generation of people that are, going to hear that song through jeff and it's for them it's a brand new experience a brand new song and the song is that that it works for me as well is is pretty astounding achievement i think you know and it blows my mind that he never got a chance to meet the people that i'm sure he would have loved to have and that's the thing that really that really kind of gets to me is like all of these amazing artists imagine what you and him would have done imagine what would have happened if you'd ever found yourself in a natural and organic space where oh. music could have been created i mean it's just that's um yeah. yeah his death was a real a real shock and it's just so in so in such well you just such a misstep and such a seemingly you know seemingly preventable it wasn't it wasn't the kind of uh death by excess you know just a, an accidental death that has like robbed us all really of what he would have become, what he, what he would have done, but of course, what he did do was was what we're left with, and what we're in many ways is you know it's got to be enough. So yeah, to have lived in a time and to have what we have, to have what we have. Here's the thing, he you know I knew his father, Tim Buckley, and I were friends, and uh, the real loss is that is that Tim didn't know. The Tim died before he became the great singer he was, but also that Jeff didn't know who Tim. That's enormous. There's so much loss in this story. It's it's kind of incomprehensible. It's really kind of 
very hard to take take it all in. I think of that time, and I think of of you paving your way and finding your path at a time when many of your peers were doing it. It, it felt like songwriting was at the forefront; stories were being told, and people were trying to make change, and everything felt like it was where it should be. And then people were dying. And it's like, hang on, aren't we here to serve yeah. the purpose of the music? Aren't we here to serve the purpose of societies and communities? Aren't we, aren't we supposed to be bards? Aren't we supposed to tell these stories to make life better? Why are people dying? It, it, it didn't make sense to me at a time of, of, of the ambition versus the reality just were never, never matched up for me. And I know, I know why. I know it's drugs, but it's just like it just seems strange to me that this desire for a long life of change was being cut short, left, right, and center. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that people weren't necessarily in touch with how unified the search for change, you know, to the the desire for change, and was in all of us, you know, and how and how much uh, all these the artists that that died, you know, of excessive drug use. Um, you know, to what degree they had. I mean, they they were also people who brought incredible illumination. You know, they brought illumination to to the arts that we all shared. You know, the songwriting and the singing, and that was sort of um, maybe under. That was probably pretty much underplayed. I think in the rock media, in the yeah. The thing is, is you can it's 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 rare to find people that can actually point that out or write about that or make it clear. I, I, I stopped reading about music because it's the, it's very difficult, very difficult. And so many people, of all the people who write or speak about it, that's, it's hard to do. It's hard to find people who do it well. I always, I, I've eventually started to, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I eventually began to care more about who was speaking when they were talking about music. And I'd appreciate it if they'd tell me what kind of day they had or what, where they're coming from, what kind of, what else they thought about. Because it's, music is so elusive. You didn't. The people who spoke from a position of authority about what music was saying and what kind. I mean, it's it's valuable to to have people sort of outline to outline or or describe what music is doing for them. But it has has to be also part of like a the broader context of who who we are, who you know who they are in the moment, and the the sort of syndicated columnists who who um, were also sort of giving you a, a critical view or telling you whether you should or shouldn't buy the record, all that. Well, do they speak the language? Well, can you speak the language? And by the language, I mean, do you truly understand where it's coming from? You know, it's one thing to look at it as a piece of art or even a piece of commerce. It's another thing to understand that it's coming from a very fractured place mainly and that there's a sensitivity attached to the process that that was lost for years and years, which I don't think is necessarily disconnected from the distractions and the and the need to take drugs and do things to dull that spirit. Because otherwise, I, no one under, right. no one understands me. You don't write like you understand me. You're at my concerts, but you don't really understand me. No one's really listening to the real me except the songs. So what the hell do I do now? There are a lot of young artists who just um, and I I won't be able to remember all their names, but I think that guy Mac. Uh, Mac Miller. Mac Miller. What a loss there, you know. Wow. And what about the Bill Peep? Oh, little Peep. Oh my God! So here are these guys. The last thing song they wrote was about how empty success was, you know, or how they're getting to a place where they can't feel anything anymore, and the next thing you know, they're dead. So that's that's still still going on because success is still that kind of uh, mind scrambler, you know, for anybody. It would be. 
So how did you do it? How did you do it? How did I survive being, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I tell you, I always mistrusted fame. That's one thing I can tell you that like, uh, and, and, uh, that, but I think that also, I think I also had a lot, I lost a lot of friends early on, you know, who were not famous, who died because their life didn't work for them. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think it's just, I just, I, I, I just trusted fame and I just thought like, don't think this is going to be the answer to any problems because it's not. And it, sure enough, I mean, the things that happened to me were not because I was busy being famous, but honestly, in the long run, I'd say that. It's very hard to have a hard to grow up in the public eye, hard to make mistakes in public and live live in a way that is sort of on display to the world and 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 feel like you have any control. It's hard to be in control of your own own life and your own destiny. So I think that like I used to see before I'd made any records and I and I I could see this there's a band that I was had sort of proximity to ah, i won't be coy about it so it's crosby still snatch and i used to think steven you know like i at one point steven still so i thought was the, the, the driving force in that band especially at that time i thought he was the, the main driving creative force and he was also sort of known to be pretty far afield in terms of you know and he went he went off and became a horse exerciser at a racetrack and i thought i thought that's it that's it. Go do something that that horse doesn't know anything about. You know, you have to like, you know, they don't know you're a rock star. Like you have to actually work with these horses and do something of value to a community that doesn't care who you are. You just, gotta, you just have to do that job well. You know, I thought that would be a way to find your way into the real world and out of the false you know, values that, that are imposed upon you or that you, that you, or that you, you project upon that arena of your your art your work to your point it's projected upon you because it's really a decision based out of commerce the idea is like if i don't yeah. pump you up then you're not going to make money so i got to keep pumping you up but then that energy's got to right. go somewhere right and if you're not <laughs> if you're not reciprocating it then you end up pouring it's yourself true. full of alcohol and drugs and whatever's going to get you to a place where you believe it because it's not normal right. yeah well said I'm super excited about this new album, Jackson, because it's got real meat to it. I mean, yeah. it sounds really exciting. Yeah. You know, you and the players really found something you were passionate about during the making of this record. You can tell because the playing is yeah. brilliant and the arrangements are very free. Just on that song I was playing before, a little too soon to say, just the space you give the music to breathe. And just so when you come back in for that final verse, it lands so beautifully. So, I mean, how did you get yourself into a place where you were able to make a record that you're, you're after so many albums where you, it sounds like your first album? Well, the guys on that cut are all in my band. They're all in my touring band. And we spent all day playing that song and going up a lot of blind alleys. Matter of fact, later, like the bass player was going like, to apologize to me saying, I don't know what happened. I just, he just went to a sort of a reggae default. I'm just imagining playing this. He just got into a reggae pit and he couldn't get out. And like by the end of the day, I was like, I finally said, look, let's play this completely different way. And I made, Fritz play like a, what if you were playing this like really quiet second line thing? And we just pe- pe- peeled everything away until that's what was there. I mean, and uh, and actually just turned off one of the guitars and simply said, okay, don't even, let's not even listen to what he played. Because, you know, a song like that can be played too sweetly. As it, as it is, it's got to be very, very understated. And gradually we figured out that if we turn that other guitarist back on, 
in the choruses, he played this really sensible part that did make the did make all the choruses sort of sparkle. And, but it was just this one take at the end of the day where we just out of exasperated stopped doing everything else and just and that's what that, it's the search in the studio. It's the search for what will make the song will make the song emerge. You know, will make it come. The veil will sort of part. You know, and you'll see what what's being said. Another uh, example of that kind of thing. I asked my friend Keb Moe to come in and play on a song of mine, and I had this big track that I thought was this really kind of big ass, you know, rocking track, you know. And and he just he said, "Okay, well, great. Okay, uh, well, here, take turn that. I mean, and he's one by one turn off turn off the instruments in the track. Till it was just me and my guitar. And he said, "Okay, let me play to that." And he wound up showing me something about my own song. I thought. He said, yeah, no, that's good. I like this. This is a nice song. And now he's, talk- now he's talking about the words. He's talking about what I'm playing. And he, and he p- played to that and not to anybody else. And I- So the next day, I cut the track like that. I took the band. I said, okay, we're- none of you- we can't play any of this shit we were playing. We just got to play it like, like we like- and And, we- and then we-, we brought him in, in again. And he-, he-, he recorded overdub to that. So, you know, that-, that lesson is there to be had anytime you go in. I mean, there's what you... What you're trying to do, sometimes you realize that what you're trying to do is not going to work. Sometimes you you hopefully find out that it's not going to work before you you know release something that just doesn't work. This works. I had I brought I brought in I brought in a friend one time to I was stuck on the lyrics and he I, and he's a good he's a, a screenwriter and a poet and a really good friend of mine. I said, look, just tell me I just can't see anymore. Just tell me what what you think I'm trying to say here, you know. And he said, okay, well, first place, write out the lyrics. And he put him on the console, and then I played me the song. I played him the song, and he then he at the end of the song he said, "Okay, well, in the first place," and he pointed at this line. He said, "That that's not true." <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I went, thank thank you. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, you know. <laughs> That's a good friend right there. That's the kind of person you need in your life. Yeah. For sure. The title, Downhill from Everywhere, and the title song, in fact, you know, the term downhill gets thrown around and it's very obvious connotations, the idea of it's all downhill from here. And like, you know, it's it's a real glass half empty pessimist's mantra. And yet I don't feel like that when I listen to this album. I don't feel like you're wallowing in some kind of like a – some kind of fait accompli. So, so what does the what does the, what does the term mean to you in relation to the energy of the record versus the the, the the kind of phrasing that downhill normally shows up in? Well, I I realize that downhill is that has that sort of resonance that about like just as you say down that all, is it all downhill from here? And uh, I didn't have to say that. I, I didn't want to say that in so many words, but the, it's it's actually specifically refers to the fact that the ocean is downhill from 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 all of humanity there it is it's really that that i got to get to that place where i say that and give that some thought i mean there are, there's like a there's a storm drain out in front of my studio it says there's a little stenciled sign on it saying this this drain leads to the ocean so so there, so be careful what you put in there don't you know you don't put in just anything in there i mean la every time it rains you know no one can go in the water because yeah. the runoff is so toxic yeah for, for a week or so that you you can't you know i mean all these drains lead to the ocean and whether it's some car you know just bacteria or whether it's some something like a discarded needle or uh, or some sort of uh 
staph infection or something, it all washes into the ocean and all that goes regularly into the ocean. So, but, but most importantly, the stuff that we're producing, the stuff we, we, we rely on to, to deliver the products that we need, like water, the convenience of water. I mean, it's all, it's all stays with us forever. It stays with us for years and years and years and it's collecting in the ocean. So that, I was trying to make that point. And so on, underneath every image is the sort of production of, of garbage and trash, whether it's a stadium or a church. It, they use plastic bottles and they, they, everything is delivered in styrofoam. Food is like, you know, plastic forks and, you know, or pans or whatever. You know, when you see these, these, these photographs of the remains of seabirds, you know, and their gullets are filled with bits of brightly colored plastics that they thought was food and that they ingested and then basically starved to death with a full stomach of plastic. Now those, it's obvious that, I mean, and it's such a a obvious signpost for us as we are filling the natural world with our crap, our, and, and the truth is that we need the, we need this natural world to survive. The ocean has got dead spots in it. So what we do on the, on this planet affects all the other species, and it, and it certainly affects their consequences for ourselves, too. So, you know, while, while, while I, wanna, I want people to be aware of that, that's too much to really say in a song. And what I really have fun with, or what I think I, I found my, my path through the song, was to just to create a sort of panorama of juxtaposed images of, of our modern life. If you, if you look closely at the lyrics, that it's easy to find out what I'm talking about, but I wanted to make a song you don't have to listen to the lyrics. If you'd only heard one one phrase go by, you know, downhill from the funeral home, downhill from the student loan, downhill from the laptops of the Russian, I mean, Russian doll, you know, I, I liked I liked putting these images together without a very obvious through, you know, through connection. You're a master of it. And that's why your music has, you've been, you've been active through your music, and I don't just mean in terms of creatively, I mean in an activist way, for many, many years and always finding ways, as I said, to find the truth and present the truth, but you do it now at a mastery level, which is what we've been talking about. But when you first started writing about about things that mattered beyond your own sort of experience, you know, being a human being and then thinking, okay, what is a human being amongst human beings and what are we doing as human beings? Was it challenging weaving that into music? Because whenever I talk to artists about how much they want to speak on a social level, I get a variation of the same answer. It's it's hard to know what my place is in that conversation as an artist all right. the time. Right. This is the thing. Nobody wants to be lectured they especially don't want to. They don't want to be lectured about something that they don't know anything about. It just makes them feel worse and worse to feel like. Absolutely, no one wants to be told because because otherwise you just feel bad about yourself. That's why watching David yeah. Attenborough is such a rewarding experience, but also a depressing experience because you spend an hour realizing <laughs> we suck. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's that's the challenge: is how to make it a story we know something about. How to how to how to make it something that is not just bewildering, and how to make it something that's connected to what we do know about. That's the challenge. I think I I think when you when you mention that I've like tr- I've done this for years or tried this tried to do it for years. I mean, I've certainly done it to greater and lesser success. There are some songs that um and, and almost in every case you need to know something about the subject, otherwise you're just um, like hearing stuff that just doesn't doesn't register with you at all. So. 
I had this, <laughs> we had this, this, um, Dr. Helen Caldicott speak at a, about nuclear energy uh, at one of these no nuke shows really early on in the seventies, you know, Graham Nash and I did a show and she, we thought it would be great if Helen Caldicott got up and spoke to people, you know, we, that was the, the, our well-intentioned, you know, way in which we we're going to like trying to uh, illuminate the subject and, you know, fill everybody in stuff that they needed to know. So it was a disaster because as she got up there and started scolding everybody and, and like, and that was her, I realized, I realized too late that, oh, sh- that's right. That's the way she does this. She makes us feel like we're really like remiss and by not knowing anything about this. We're just really, you know, falling short. And I'm, so years later, I met this guy in a liquor store. He said, he was waiting on me like a <laughs> guilt of this liquor. He said, oh, yeah, man. He looked at my card and said, Jackson Brown. Oh, man, I went to one of your shows one time. The weirdest thing happened, man. In the middle of the night, this crazy woman got up on the stage and started telling us that we were all going to die. And she went on and on and on and on. And nobody would do anything about it. No one got her off the stage. No and one... I was just here to hear. All I wanted to hear was running on empty, man. And I was just like. <laughs> exactly. And no one would do anything. And my, my, my own mother was in that audience. And she was, she was so frustrated by her. She said, like, she's yelling. Tell us what we can do about it. Tell us what to do. Classic you know? parent reaction. Classic parent reaction. Do you know what can yeah, what can we do about it? And she was totally on the same page as Ellen Caldicott for sure. That's the thing. People have to have some information, and hopefully, a song, even if they don't understand it all, well, there'll be something in it that makes you want to know more. And that's the other thing. You, I've met people who told me that like that they first heard lives in the balance and, and made and they didn't quite understand what was going on in the song, but they, it made them want to learn about our country's involvement in Central America. And then they, they based it, it became like almost like a study plan for them. And they f- figured out what all these references were and they made it a, a point to, to find out more. And, but not everybody listens to music that way. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, there's sometimes, um, like a great example is the great song uh, "Strange Fruit." Unless you know that it's about lynching, the song is not going to make any that much sense to you. It's not going to, and it couldn't come right out and say it. And in many ways, my early songs were trying to broach a subject without pointing at it too directly, trying to trying to talk about it. So it tried to lead lead you into the subject without being direct. Now I think that it's important to be direct now especially about something like black lives matter and there's no there's no way to be oblique about this you don't have to you don't have to get ready or prepare anybody to talk about matter of fact back to lives of the balance one of the mistakes i made back at those times where i thought it needed an introduction live i thought you needed to explain to people what they were about to hear and so it suddenly sounded like a lecture about something they didn't know anything about and the song, which the song, which would have done its work fine if I just sang it, and without an introduction, just went into it, it would have been really compelling. And I think the lines that jump, you know, that that really make sense to anybody who hasn't even thought about the subject are lines like, um, you know, I want to know who the men in the shadows are. I want to hear somebody telling me why they can be counted on to tell us who our enemies are. But they're never the ones to fight or to die. So I, I, I like one of my kids when he was a teenager said that song. That's a song you could be singing today. 
and and maybe you should sing that song again because that song that's exactly what's happening now. And this was like twenty years after. Yeah, I, you know, I was in the car driving back yesterday with my kids and 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 one of my uh, one of our boys and his friend, and and we put on System of a Down, and we listened to them just basically tell the truth for an hour, yeah, yeah. and they didn't. They just didn't dress it up. I mean, why do why don't presidents yeah. fight yeah. the war? Why do they always send the poor? Why don't presidents fight the war? Why do they always send the poor? Why do they always send the poor? And then when you're not done, why do they always send the poor? Why? And it just keeps right. and it's just different ways to say it. Like how many right. different ways do I have to slap you around the head with this? Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah, and they loved it. They were like, "Wow, mind well, blown." Well, I, I love that. I love that that kind of directness, and it and it was a time when there was a time when it was considered, you know, like it's not your job. It's not your job, Jackson. Don't sing those songs. Right. Entertain us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's the, that was the attitude in the early seventies for sure. I mean, once the sixties were gone, that was the prevailing attitude for a while. And uh, yet, the, the the same people who were in those movements of the '60s, the anti-war movement, civil rights movement, the environmental burgeoning environmental movement, were very much uh, still there. But yeah, yeah, you get told, oh yeah, why should we be listening to you about this? Or when you are you some kind of expert that we should be? But that's exactly the problem with the the society that believes that experts are the ones that you know. The experts that got us into this. Well, that's it. Well, aren't we all just human beings? Like I, I had this conversation about a year or so ago when we were talking about the pandemic and someone said, they'll fix it out. I said, who's who's they? Who are you putting your faith in yeah. right now? I don't mean to be a downer right. about this, but if you just keep sitting around waiting for them to fix it, like I understand I can't go and find a vaccine, but I'm certainly a little bit pessimistic in the next few months or so figuring out who I'm trusting right now because they're just yeah. people like the rest of us. And it's not they're bad people. They just decided they wanted the responsibility. A decision doesn't make you an expert. <laughs> right. I can decide that I want to go out there and be the mayor of Los Angeles. Doesn't mean I should. <laughs> <laughs> But you probably could, you could probably get elected, you know, you, I think that people, uh, to the degree that they're paying attention, they do the best they can with, you know, the choices they're given. But, you know, for the longest time, it seems that, um, people who are qualified to lead are not necessarily the people running for the office. And that's why the system is, and that's why kids, if you ask anybody now of a certain age group, if politics is on the horizon, they're like, no. It's it's there's a there's a healthy mistrust in whether or not it's even something yeah. they want to dedicate themselves to, and that is when you know it's rotten to the core because the yeah. core ain't even good. Yeah. One of the things I love about this new album is how your voice has has changed and and has mm. d- discovered a new richness and a depth to it over time. And I listen back to some of the early records which I grew up listening to and I still love. You sound like a baby, baby Jackson Brown compared yeah. to how you sound now. Mm-hmm. And I sort of wonder like <laughs> how that sort of feels for you now thinking about how your voice changes in the recording process because it sounds so rich and beautiful now, but it kind of must be weird for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool for me. It's honestly really rewarding to sing now. I I can I'm I'm capable of singing badly any day. I I can I can sing badly or I can sing well. And I, when I realize that I'm not doing this right, I stop and like I could pull my get myself and it's like anything. It's like whether it's it's if you decide you want to do it well, you can stop you can stop doing it badly any moment and just go okay. I'm going to sing this right now. But sometimes you're doing too much or you're not thinking about it or you're thinking you know. I mean I've always tried real hard to sing well. 
I wanted to I wanted to be a better singer than I was. But part of it is that you try anything, including things that you can't quite pull off, and then you you take those parts out. You just like you know, it's just like uh, didn't you just land it? I feel like you just gave me gave us all something that is like the perfect summary of great artists and, and, and performers in a singing space. I'm talking about the ones who technically, you put them on a talent show, they'll come flat out bottom last, right? And yet they're the ones that t- told the best stories and sang the best. Mm-hmm. And you said mm-hmm. it before, I always wanted to sing better. Mm-hmm. You said it so beautifully because what you're really saying is in aspiring to do that, I'm putting more emphasis on the meaning and the, and the spirit of it than I am on what my capability is. Right. You're not really capable of, I mean, the, the, the secret to being felt or understood by others is to not go doing something that you're not able to do, not well, well enough, you know? And if you, if you're just in your own voice and you're being who you are and you're just singing, it might, it, you might not be able to do the spectacular things you wish you, you know, in your, in your heart, yeah. the ways in which you wish you could soar vocally, you know, but, but the worst thing you could do is to try to soar and just be, just be terrible you know so you you leave that out i mean you just but you got to try when you're singing i've got to try stuff that that i'm i'm hearing in my head and then later I, I'll, I'll figure out which of those things i'm able to, to sound good sometimes i mean there was a song on this record that no matter how many times i sang it it was just awful <laughs> which yeah, one? it was just which and one? i thought i thought i'm not gonna tell you which one <laughs> <laughs> but um, but because I finally I love this still an ego there. I love this still an ego there. We've just covered every part of human society, and yet you won't tell me the name of the song because deep down there's still that voice in you that's like F- that guy. I'm not telling him that. <laughs> I I want you to still like the song. I I couldn't sing it well at all. It just sounded terrible to me. And I thought, I've, oh God, I've written a song that I can't sing. That's the first time this happened. I, wow. It's just a melody that I couldn't a melody that I couldn't pull up. It didn't seem that hard. And my engineer finally said, Well, look, just just sing it some more and do it the best you can. <laughs> and we'll just like we'll co- cobble together the pieces of that, that actually work. And then eventually I learned how to sing it. But it was I needed to be singing it in a way that was just demanding of me of, of skills I don't think I'd ever really relied upon. It's not like a it's not a hard song. I mean, it is a hard song for me to sing, but it's not apparently that's wonderful though that's wonderful what a wonderful realization at any point in your life to know that you know there's something that you have to try to to really ex- yeah to, to extend yourself into yeah exactly yeah so at the same time you wind up choosing the stuff that you're able to pull off you it's really important that you spend time trying to do those things that you can't quite do and what at one point in my life i just i became really intensely in, interested in arranging for a band and i wasn't very good at it so some of these songs don't really they're kind of like sound like some kind of a beginner how can you not be great at arranging when you instinctively arrange classic songs well the way i what i'm talking about is that i early on i just relied on getting the best take out of really great players right and they they did stuff that i didn't know they were doing i didn't know how to say i didn't have to say to russ Kunkel, you know try this pattern because he just gravitates to the right thing and matter of fact he still does it when he when he comes in and starts playing in a song you go oh that sounds so good (laughs) what he's doing wow i didn't know that that and we, we had tried to program that song to make a demo of it we were all over the place. We, I liked what we did. I'm, I'm smiling. My engineer is smiling at me right now because 
you know, he's a drummer and he, and he, he programmed something that may, got me a little farther down the line. I thought, okay, this sounds good. I, I went on working on the song and working on the lyrics and stuff. But when Russ came into play, not only was he the right guy because of his incredible connection to my earlier songs, especially and, and my whole life in LA, but also he just played the right thing. And it was like, oh my God, that's so, that's so good. That's so that. strong. I mean, he was the guy that played on so many of my earlier records that I didn't, it wasn't until I was working with a drummer that wasn't, who was good, but not, not nearly as good that I found myself in trouble and not knowing how to, what to tell him or how right, to, right, right. how to help him, how to help him play the right thing on these songs. And, and then, and the, but, and nonetheless, that same drummer played a great arrangement of a particular song that only he would have played that way. And that, that became the, you know, the way that the song goes. That's the beauty of it though, isn't it? That's the moment when you realize that you're actually in, in, the, in, the, in the space that you should be in in your life, when you're able to immerse yourself in the unknown completely yeah. and it still lands for you. It still works out for you. Uh, that's the thing. What you're, just, what you're saying is so true, to immerse yourself into the unknown, to actually go in and try to make sense out of what you don't understand exactly. and try to find some illumination. Yeah, that's the process. That's the process. A recording for me for sure is to try to like make songs and all of these songs are the product of having thought intensely on on a particular subject and try to try to make it you know try to make up something that's that sounds true and or even just that sounds good just to sound musically good because wow. you can't really sing stuff you can't sing lines that aren't true <laughs> i could go i could keep going I wish I could. I, I, I've loved every second of it, man. I really have. As someone, Thank you. Yeah, man. I, I, and I could just sit here and, and spend the last five minutes, next five minutes telling you what your music has meant to me throughout my life. But I think hopefully deep down you know that from the conversation we've had. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's been really, really special for me to, to meet you, and I hope I get to do so again sometime. Thank you. Me too. I hope to meet you again. Thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. The remarkable Jackson Brown joining me. I mean, it's weird to even say that getting to this point in my life, having spent so much time talking to brand new artists or sort of finding their audience, finding their feet, finding their career to get to a place now where I'm able to spend time on the interview series, sort of trying to put into context the kind of life and journey that someone like Jackson Brown is on is a whole other challenge, but one I'm so appreciative of. An incredible singer-songwriter. There might be some of you out here who just haven't really dived into the work of Jackson Brown. Now's your chance. Thanks for checking it out. You know the deal. Rating comment, follow. These are the only real three things we ask you to do if you fancy getting deeper into it. Otherwise, we'll be back again with a brand new conversation very soon. Thank you.